<laughs> now Brian's in the way. That's, I want to see your basement, not you. <laughs> what is that chase over your right shoulder? Over here? Other side. Over like, here. Yeah, like that wood contraption that's built into the ceiling. That is an I-beam. And they put wood over it so you can put... Uh, oh, it's a drywall around it? A drywall or Luan, whatever, to hide it. Weird. <laughs> that seems like a ridiculous amount of two-by-fours just to cover an I-beam. It is. <laughs> They're not even on 16s. They're like six inches apart. What's up with that? <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> <laughs> You could get away with like 24, but yeah, they put them on like six inches. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's why I was confused. I was like, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. Are we Take in the home remodeling? Yeah, we're in a home remodeling discussion right now. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at Brian's basement. <laughs> This is the 30th of March. That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, well, some people continue to wander in, I suppose, as we go. So that's good. We'll hope they do. Um, so we are going to finish Galatians 5 and then move boldly into Galatians 6 tonight. And we'll probably need to start talking about what we're going to do next because we're getting really close to fitting. There's not much to Galatians 6. Um, there's just, it's just not very long chapter. So we're actually coming really close to the end of Galatians. And I was wondering, I guess there's two things to ask. One is if we want to keep doing this. And then the second is if we do, what do we want to study? So um, does anybody have, I guess, I guess the first, okay, yes. Brian wants to keep doing it, yay. Yes. Where would I be on a Tuesday night? Where would you be? You'd be here. We'll keep doing it. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm more than happy to keep doing it. So if, if people keep showing up, I'll keep teaching. We can just do it that way. And then if nobody shows up, then I'll take that as it was time to go away. So let's, let's keep doing it. Um, so what would you guys like to study? We've done, so we did first, John, that's how we started this whole thing. Um, it was uh, literally on a whim. I just, I just said, let's do first, John. So we did. And then we did Ephesians and Galatians. So we've done um, one book of Paul, of John, and then two books of Paul. So I was going to suggest that we not do another Pauline book, that we try to find something not by Paul. Um which opens up, we still have a lot of, we could do Isaiah, which would take us several years. Um, we will not finish Isaiah until Christ returns. It's pretty, that's pretty certain. Um, we can do Isaiah, but it's really tough to do Isaiah the way we're doing it. We would have to do things quite differently, which we can do. We could change things up. So Isaiah is a possibility. What else would people like to do? We could do a gospel. I'm teaching um mark on fridays and john on sundays so a lot of you are already in those classes so we're already doing a gospel but we could look at um so we've done first john and we've done a couple of things of paul we could do first peter which is um another one of the homo laguna books that people don't say that often one of the catholic epistles so we could do first peter that's an option um we could do we could do an Old Testament book. We could do Isaiah. That would be really interesting. Um, I don't even know how we would do that in this format, but we could, we could definitely give it a whirl. Do you do it topically? Like you could do the, uh, like the kingdom of Israel starting from Saul and then just kind of cross over Chronicles, Kings. Yeah, that I'm sort not of thing. good at topics. I, I'm too much of an exegete. I get stuck in texts. So Jeremiah? We could, we could do Jeremiah. That would be... <laughs> We could do the first 33 chapters of Jeremiah. After that, I'm not totally sure we could do it. But yeah, we could we could look at Jeremiah or Isaiah. Um, those would, like I said, those are pretty different formats as far as books go. We could try that. I'm not totally opposed to that. I don't think. 
it's just really hard to get through some of the prophets because there are chapters that will just make it really hard to, to say much at all. Um, let me think about that. Either Jeremiah or Isaiah is a possibility. What else? Any other New Testament books you guys want to study? Let's try New Testament first. Yeah, we'll figure it well, out. Well, I was going to suggest the Peter, you know, the first and second Peter, but you already okay. mentioned that. So maybe first Peter. What do you guys think if we did first Peter? Philemon, we could do Philemon in one sitting, which, you know, I wouldn't, but <laughs> we could try. We could do Philemon. Romans, we, we just, we, ha we could do Romans, but I just did Romans um, on Friday mornings. We could do Romans. That'd be fun too. But I'd like to do a non-Pauline book just for a little bit. Then we'll go back and maybe do Romans next. Okay. So let's see. Let's try it. Let's think through first. Let's see. First on the, I guess on the list would be first Peter or a major prophet. One of the major prophets, Isaiah or Jeremiah. Matthew. Matthew is a gospel. We could work through Matthew. Huh. I don't know. So let's think about it for next. We're not going to finish Galatians this week anyway. So think about it for next week. You're welcome to email me or whatever, however you want to contact me. You're welcome to do that during the week and let me know what you think. Otherwise, I'll keep thinking about it and I'll come up with an idea of what I would like to teach of that list. Um, but really, if you're if you're something you want to you want to work through, just let me know. We can we can um, consider that as well. So anyway, that, that'll be in a couple of weeks. We'll start that up. So Anyway, we are going to finish Galatians 5 today and move into Galatians 6, which, like I said, is a pretty short chapter, so it won't take us that long to get through Galatians 6. We should be able to finish it next week if we don't get through most of it this week. Um, just a quick reminder, this is Holy Week, so what that means is don't go to church tomorrow night, but instead go to church Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning several times, right? So Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, then you have Holy Saturday, um, if you can find an Easter vigil in your area and you've never been to one, it's worth going to check it out if you can. Um, otherwise, Hey, it's COVID. You might be able to find one online. So that'd be cool. That's Holy Saturday. And then obviously Easter Sunday, this, this coming Sunday. So yeah, please avail yourself of those opportunities. And I always encourage everybody to read through the passion accounts and all four gospels during this, this most holy week when we, um, meditate on the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so do that if you're able. Um, heard a wonderful sermon today at the IC Chapel on Jesus' prayer in the garden in Mark 14. So, so it was very, very good. Um, IC Chapel is doing some cool stuff. Our chaplain is preaching every day this week. And also, uh, President Harrison is doing devotions online at 9 a.m. That's on the LCMS, LCMS Facebook page. So if you want to watch President Harrison doing live devotions for Holy Week, nine o'clock um, Facebook, the, the link is in the chat live at, I'm sorry, nine o'clock central time. That's nine o'clock central time for all of you who are in different time zones. So good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's, let's pray. And then we will, um, yeah, nine for devotions, 10 for chapel. Good. So then we'll pray and then we'll get to our study. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, on this night, we pause and give you thanks again for your great mercy to us and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we journey to the cross this most holy week, we do so in repentance. For we are sinners, undeserving of your love. And yet you sent your Son for us to bear our sins and our sorrows in his body on the tree. So let us journey with him in repentance, but also in hopeful joy. For in his death and his resurrection, he has taken our burdens upon himself and given to us forgiveness, freedom, and life. So let us live lives of joy. We ask you this night to bless us with your Holy Spirit for wisdom, that as we read these words of Galatians, we can do so according to your will and see our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Galatians 5. Um, we, we did our a little discussion on fruit of the Spirit last week. 
and we kind of got through the chapter, but I, I want to kind of recapitulate some things and we didn't get to say everything there is to say about the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we'll never get to say everything there is to say, but I, a couple more things I wanted to highlight. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of that and then that'll give us the right frame of mind with which we, we run into Galatians 6, which really is kind of a, a different section of the book. So, so this is one place where chapter break actually does make quite a bit of good sense from the rhetoric of the book itself. So let's read Galatians 5, verses 24 through 26. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and being one another. Okay, good. We, we talked about this last week. I just want to recapitulate this question. So how is life in the spirit tied to justification by grace through faith? I know that's kind of a strange question to ask, but but I just want us to kind of think this through. When, when we talk about this life in the spirit, a lot of people are tempted to kind of say, this is now a different conversation than justification. So this is in the realm of sanctification and our life in the spirit and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's valid in some ways. But I, I want to look at the text in the way that Paul actually talks about it. Remember, he goes through the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, against such things, there is no law. And then he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And then if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk or keep in step with the Spirit. Okay. So, so how is this life in the Spirit thing really tied to justification by grace through faith? Well, it seems like the Holy Spirit is the one who led us to faith, which gave us uh, life from our previous state of in sin and death. So if he gave us life there, then he'll also provide us the walking part. Okay, good. So the Spirit is the one who, who um, gives us, you said, gives us life kind of by our faith, right? So he's the one that gives us faith and he'll also give us the ability to walk in that faith. Good. So where, where do we get this? I know Lutherans say this from the small catechism that the Holy Spirit gives us faith, but where in the Bible do we get this idea? The Holy Spirit's the one who gives us faith. Are there any Bible verses that teach the Holy Spirit gives us faith? Or is there just something we say? Uh, a lot of times uh, I understand Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37. Okay, so Ezekiel 36 and 37, um, that's kind of an Old Testament way to go about things. Ezekiel 36 um, talks about, this is really where um, Israel is given a new heart, okay? Their heart of stone is, is kind of washed, baptized, and given a, a heart of flesh. And this heart of flesh is turned away from the, the sinful things, and by the Spirit of God is turned um to faith in Yahweh, to the things of Yahweh. And then 37 then would be the, you guys know this. Jeremy, you know what story that is? You said it. That is the dry bones. Right. Valley of dry bones. The story of the dry bones. So remember in the story of the dry bones, you have Israel kind of seen before the prophet as this valley of dry bones. And he, and he prophesies to the bones and they kind of rattle and get together and sinews and flesh, right? But they're kind of just staying in there dead. And then, and then um, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the spirit, to the wind, to the breath. And when the, when the spirit fills them, then they become alive, right? And they stand before uh, the prophet as a living and kind of renewed, uh, resurrected army, right? The whole people of Israel is, is now made alive by the spirit. So this is, this is often seen as kind of, of the spirit um, kind of giving Israel, restoring Israel back to their faith through repentance and resurrection so that they are once again, Yahweh's people. Very good. Okay. So that, that's a very popular old Testament story about the Holy spirit being active in, in the making alive action that is in the new Testament talked about as justification. Good. Excellent. 
Any other texts that we know about? When Christ says to get baptized. Okay, good. So, so you have baptism. You will have both Matthew 28, which you get the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you also have Acts 2, 38 to 39, right? Um, you're welcome to look there. Um, Acts so we're in Galatian. You got to go. You got to go back to the beginning of the New Testament a little bit. So Galatians, and then you know Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, Romans, and then Acts. Okay. So that's kind of how you get to Acts, where we are. Acts two is the beginning of Acts, which was fun. So that basically, you always go back to the Gospel of John, which it's always a distraction. You should just read the whole Gospel of John while you're there. But we won't do that tonight. So Galatians two, I'm sorry, Acts two, thirty-eight and thirty-nine. And it says, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Okay, so there the Holy Spirit is certainly equated with this, this act of baptism, repentance, faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins. That's all part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Very good. Anything else comes to mind? I kind of cheated Romans yeah. 8, 10 and 11. All right. Good. So go to Romans 8. That's always a good place to go when you're talking spirit. Someone brings up the Holy Spirit, go to Romans 8. There's a whole bunch of Holy Spirit in Romans 8, right? Okay. So what do we find there? Romans 8, you said 10. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, you really can start with nine is kind of where I was thinking, but, but 10 is good too. But Romans, Romans eight really verses nine through 11 um, kind of, kind of gets the whole thing. Okay. Um, it even goes on from there, but Romans eight, nine through 11 says this, you however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So good. Holy Spirit very much connected to this gift of life in Christ. Good. Anything else? Yeah. So go. What's that? John 14. John 14. Good. We're, in, see, we're hitting all the good ones, aren't we? Aren't this fun? Look at all these Holy Spirit passages. Okay. Um, John 14, you want to look at verses 25 and following if you're going to John 14, right? Is that what you're thinking? So John 14, usually, well, I mean, you can go a little bit earlier than that. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So you can go a little bit earlier than that, you know, like 15. So, but usually it is 20, 25 and following the helper, the Holy spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay. So good, good. Now also go, since we're kind of going this direction, also go to first Corinthians chapter 12. And this is, this is kind of usually one of the main proof passages for this also. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It's as easy as 1, 2, 3. That's how you remember this one. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Okay. So this is kind of your clincher passage in some ways. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I always have trouble reading that first part out loud because I feel like, you know, I shouldn't say it. Ever Holy Spirit. So, um, so no one can say Jesus is cursed if he has the Holy Spirit and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So here we have a pretty clear indication that faith in Jesus um, really is something the Holy Spirit alone gives us. Okay, we had John 14 in there. We had Romans 8, uh, 9 through 11. That's good stuff. Okay, and, and part of what I want you to see in this in this little listing is that some people think that our doctrine of the Holy Spirit is kind of less developed or less 
um, prevalent in the New Testament than, than the doctrine of the Father or the Son. But really, when you start looking around at the Holy Spirit passages, they're pretty prevalent and they're pretty important. So this Holy Spirit working stuff, it really is um, the, the person of the Trinity that we talk about when we talk about us believing in Christ and, and being sustained in our faith in Christ. Okay. So when you're going to uh, equate the Holy Spirit to um, our faith in Christ, both giving it to us, but also sustaining it. Now, here's what I want you guys to think through. If the Holy Spirit is going to give us faith and sustain our faith, how does he do that? How do you get faith and sustain faith? The word. Okay, word. good. So, so the first thing I want you to think about is when you think about the spirit, think about the word, right? Think about the word because the spirit is always working through the word. That's where he's working. He's not working apart from the word. He's working in the word, through the word. Okay. So Yep. It it also makes me think of the virgin birth. Good. When you think of the Holy Spirit. Good. Um, Good. And that's a fulfillment of the word. Well, right? it's a fulfillment of the word. And it's also, um, how did it happen in Matthew 1 and Luke 1? The angel Gabriel did what? Spoke. Spoke the word of God to the, to the Virgin Mary and said, this is happening. So Luther always said that that jesus was conceived through the ear now let's not talk about that too much but but um that was kind of the way he said it because he was saying even the birth the, the conception of jesus by the holy spirit was was through the word when when the virgin mary heard the word of god spoken to her it did what it said right the holy spirit overshadow you and and the holy one will be will be born of you um and new christians also conceive through the ear right so so then what happens then is that this is this is actually the way the holy spirit works in all things is that we're gonna we're gonna talk about the spirit doing his work in the word okay so very good even even the conception with the whole with the virgin mary we say okay that's through the speaking of the word that's through the keeping of the promises and that's still how the holy spirit's going to work what this means is this is very important because when you want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to depart from the word, right? You're not going to say, I want to be very spiritual, so I'm going to depart from the word and I'm going to spend time, whatever. No, if you want to be spiritual, if you want to be Christian, if you want to be involved in your faith, you're going to be drawn to the word, okay? Because that's where the Holy Spirit is doing this faith giving and faith sustaining work. Okay, that's what we're doing here tonight. We're reading the word. We're spending time talking about the word. Why? Because the Holy Spirit works faith that way. Because God strengthens our faith that way. Okay, now we're not done, right? Whenever you say word and God working through it, he, that word is, is obviously spoken, read, heard, preached, um, absolved, all those things. But that word is also then active in the Holy Sacraments. Okay. So this, this word is also joined to these, these means, these physical means of water, okay? So like we read in Acts 2 and Matthew 28, it's actually this word is present with the water of holy baptism. And it's not the water that does any wonderful thing, but it's the water that's connected to this word combined with God's command, okay? So then also in the Lord's Supper, what do we do? How is Christ present in the Lord's Supper? Because our pastor has magic fingers. No, that doesn't work at all. I've met my pastor. He's not that good, right? Um, no, the, the, Christ is present in, his in, his, in the, the bread and wine through his word, through the power of his word, through the keeping of his promise, through what he said, right? Take, eat. My body given for you. Take drink, my blood shed for you. 
of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And what does Paul do with his 1 Corinthians 11? What does he do when he wants to talk to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper? What does he do? He literally quotes the word of Jesus. He says, I passed on to you what was passed on to me. And then he quotes the words of Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, right? And then he quotes the words of Jesus. And so what we have is the word is the means by which the Holy Spirit is working, right? The preached word, heard word, sung word, whatever word, but also sacramental word, all right? So Holy Spirit working in baptism, Holy Spirit working in the Lord's Supper, Holy Spirit working. Hey, here's the thing. If you're getting forgiveness of sins, Holy Spirit's working right? And what does it say? When you're baptized, you get forgiveness of sins. When you get the Lord's Supper, you get forgiveness of sins. When you hear the word, you get forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit working. How's he working? In the word. Now, we got to keep going because when you hear the word, I don't want you thinking just scripture. I want you thinking something first before you go to scripture. I want you thinking when you hear the word, I want you thinking Jesus. Okay? So, Holy Spirit works through the word, but what is the word, what is the Holy Spirit working through the word to teach you about? The word. Jesus. Okay. So the point of the Holy Spirit, when he works in the word, when he works through the means of grace, when he works in the Lord's Supper, when he works in baptism, is to get us to Jesus, right? He is the very word of God in the flesh. So when you think spirit working word, you think, okay, spirit's job is to point me to Jesus to get me to his death and resurrection, to get me the hope of the second coming, to give me the joy of the ascension that Jesus now reigns as heaven kings and, and comes to us as he promises to his church, okay? So spirit, whenever you think Holy Spirit, you want to think word. First of all, that word is Jesus, the very incarnate word of God, and that's to whom the spirit is always pointing you. But then also the means by which he does that is the word. The word of God preached, proclaimed, heard, read, sung, whatever, but also the word working in sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper. Okay. And if, if you want to kick it really kind of confessional old school, we'll throw in absolution down here. Um, if you want to include that as your third sacrament, that's okay. We're good. To, we're good to go there too. Okay. Because remember, absolution is another way through which God gives us the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's another means through which God works to, for, to forgive sins. So in some ways, you can include that in your list of sacraments. Lutheran confessions go back and forth on that one. So we're good, right? I think speaking of Lutheran confessions, I just wanted to point out something that's really practical about the word working in the sacraments, which is I've, I've talked about this to my girls in our family devotions, and I think it's important maybe for all of us to, to sort of recognize this, is that you know, speaking broadly about, about the Bible, about Holy Scripture, yeah, it, it promises the forgiveness of sins. But the thing about sacraments is, you know, we talk about the physical part of it. Um, the thing about it is that that promise of forgiveness is in your mouth. Like, it's not just something that is kind of, you know, for everybody. It's like for you. Gulp, like eat that because it's right. not for anybody else. It's in your mouth. When it's in the water, it is on your head. It's not on, it's like right there for you. When the pastor speaks the absolution to you, whether it's in the corporate or one-on-one -on -one confession, which we don't do a lot of, but I, you know, it's something that we should really consider. It is for you, like right you there, right there. I am talking to you. Your sin that you confessed is forgiven. And uh, speaking of the Lutheran confessions, uh, Reverend Sean Smith, who does the Concord Matters uh, show for KFUO, said at one point, and I've never stopped thinking about this since then, it's been on my mind constantly, is that if you look through the Lutheran confessions, the number of points at which the the um, uh, the, the proclamation of the gospel and the way that the Lutheran uh, practice and, and belief is specifically for the comfort of troubled consciences. And he said, and he, he pointed out, he says, it is all throughout the book of Concord. It is just constantly there for the comfort of troubled consciences. And, right. and, and I think that's a kind of an important tie there is that sacramentally, you know, the, the, the promise is there as it is in, in the spoken word, even when you get together for a Bible study, but it is for you particularly in a way that you almost cannot deny, you know, right. once, once you're there at the altar or once you're there at the font. Right. And this is, that's exactly right, Jeremy. They're very good. Thanks for that. And um, that's actually a very prominent theme in, in um, the reformation was that whereas the, the, the teaching of salvation by works was just piling guilt on consciences, just, just making you just wonder if you even got a shot, right. The preaching of the pure gospel just removes all that 
conscience laden Christianity. And it, and it frees and it comforts and it, and it gives us peace. If you look at the fruit of the spirit from last week, that's exactly what we're doing. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we are free. We have joy. We have peace, right? Our consciences are liberated from the guilt of sin because that sin is placed on Jesus and we get his forgiveness. And that, that's exactly right. That's and it's not something that is found in every faith tradition, which is a little bit confounding. I mean, the, the more you sit down with the Lutheran confessions, you're like, why does everybody not think this way? Because other, otherwise you're going for the guilt or you're going for the uncertainty. Like, oh, am I, am I one of God's people? I didn't do anything good. Like, oh man, I fell to my pet sin again this week or this day or, or whatever. And it's just like, and they specifically cling to that. They hold on to like, no, no, this is the way it works. God is sovereign. And are you one of his people? You better show it because if not, you know. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly that's and that's why um, we are so concerned about the pure preaching of the gospel, not meddling it, not confusing it, but the pure preaching of the gospel. That's exactly right. Okay, good. Um, any any questions on kind of that? These ideas. Also, um, anything from Galatians five that we've gone over that you're confused about or want some clarification on? Anything I can help anybody with before we move boldly into Galatians six? Hey, Kevin, I just wanted to throw in a Titus 3.5 on the work of the Spirit and baptism. That's Great. a pretty good one. Great. Titus, let's go ahead and turn there. That's such a good passage. Thanks for bringing that up. Titus, that's not a book you, you turn to a lot, right? Nobody ever brings up, let's study Titus. So, so Titus is actually one of Paul's letters. It's actually the second to the last of Paul's letters. Um, so it's right before Philemon. And um, really... It's, it's, it's got some really good stuff in there. And if you, if you look at chapter three, we actually do read this in church a couple of times during the church year, um, sometimes even at Christmas. So look at, at Titus chapter three. Um, well, you told me that's true. I did tell you no Pauline letters. I didn't say no pastorals though. So that's true. So Titus three. Um, verses four and five is usually where you go, and we should just keep going to six, you know, and seven because it just it's just such good stuff, okay? Um, so, so Titus chapter three, verses four, five, and six, and part of seven, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, yeah, and thanks for bringing that up. That is such a good passage. That is probably one of the, the best passages that is not well known in the New Testament. I mean, it is, that is just rich theology. Um, it kind of just says it all right there. I mean, you got Trinitarian stuff going on. You got justification stuff going on. You got baptism. You got sola gratia, sola fide. I mean, it's just, it's all in there. It's just good stuff. So yeah, thank you very much for that. Titus three, really good stuff. Who's confirmation verse? Which one of you? One of the Satans. I didn't know which one it was. Hey, Annika, good. Good for you. Excellent. Good confirmation verse. Well done. All right. Next time I see you, I'll make sure you know it. All right. Good. Anything else from, from Galatians 5? Now everybody's thinking we should study Titus. Maybe we will. We'll see. All right. Let's read Galatians 6 verses 1 through 5. It is, it is definitely a change of tone now. So let's, let's do Galatians 6, 1 to 5. See what it has. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay, thank you very much. Not saying that makes a whole lot of sense, but there you go. There it is. Um, one thing I want you to see in this section 
is that he alternates between you plural and then talking about an individual person. So it, it usually follows a pattern of an overall statement to like the whole church and then an individual admonishment. And they actually flip as far as what he's saying. Okay. So he's like, um, if anybody's caught in a transgression, you all, y'all who are spiritual should restore him, but look out just in case you fall into temptation. Right. So it's, it's kind of this, this back and forth and back and forth. Um, and you'll see that you'll see that pattern as it goes. It's a little less obvious in the English because our U is singular and plural all the time, but in Greek there actually is a difference. So that's the pattern. All right. So number two, number two, 33 minutes later, we're number two. We're not going to finish Galatians tonight. That's just all there is to it. All right. So number two, how does the Christian live out their freedom? Just looking at this passage as a whole, we talked about in, in Galatians 5, it starts off with, with freedom. Christ has set you free. We don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Okay, submit again to yoga slavery. So how then um, how then does, does a Christian live out their freedom? Bearing the burdens of others. Right. Okay, so, so the Christian's freedom is oriented toward others in service to others okay does that does that make sense christian freedom is oriented towards the service of others okay so christian freedom means that christ has set us free from my sin so that i can serve others okay now this is very different than American freedom or political freedom, which is all about my rights. Okay. Christian freedom is not about my rights. Christian freedom is about your well-being. Okay. I've been set free from my sin so that I can serve you. And this is really what Paul is now going to get the Galatians church to understand is that Christ has set you free from being under the law right? So now that you're free, what do you do? You serve each other. You become the slave of the other. You don't use your freedom to serve yourself because that'd, put, that'd be putting yourself back under the law. Don't do that. Instead, use your freedom to serve each other, okay? So, so this is really going to be the big theme then whenever we talk about living out the Christian life or living in Christian freedom is that we've been set free from sin so that we can serve one another. Does that make sense? Uh, I would say furthermore that it's only in Christ that we are even able to undertake that thing. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a really great quote, and I was trying to find it, and I couldn't do it in time, where he says that anytime you forgive somebody who has wronged you, uh, and I might be, I'm paraphrasing this, but uh, you are bearing... Uh, a burden that Christ already bore on the cross. And we ultimately give up the burden that we bear in forgiving others. You know, even when we've, when we're hurt and we've been wronged, we give that up to Christ who already bore it for us. Is that in life together? I don't, I, I gotta find it. I'll find it before the end. I think it's in life together. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's in life together. Um, which is a great little book um, about how to live out your, your Christian faith in community. It's just, an, it's an astounding little book. And I like it because it's little. Uh, but, but yeah, so, so this is, that's a very good point. And that's kind of what we're getting at is that the one who sets us free is the one who bears the burden of these sins, not you. So now when, when, when a Christian brother or sister is caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual, that's the body of Christ, right? That's the body of Christ. Those who are walking in the spirit, those who have the fruit of the spirit, those who are set free by the spirit. When, when there's someone who's caught in a sin, the church then works to restore that person, to help them, to bring them along, right? And the most important thing the church does is we bring them, where do we bring them? We bring them to the cross of Jesus Christ and we say, hey, well, I erased it all, right? But, but I say, hey, let's get you to an encounter with the word. Let's, let's get you to a place where you repent of that sin and you receive the absolution, right? Let's get you to a place 
where you repent of that sin and you receive the Lord's Supper. Let's get you to the place where you're, you're hearing the scriptures, you're meditating on the word of God, and you realize that the way to overcome your sin is not self-help books, but it's actually confession and repentance in the word of God. And then, and then the encouragement of your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you as you continue to wrestle with this, this, this uh, temptation that you're facing. So if you identify to me a temptation you're facing, the first thing I want to do is I want to get, get you to repentance, to recognize that it's a sin that you're facing, not just a bad habit or a bad decision, but actually a sin. We repent before God, Psalm 51, right? Where it says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's talking to God. Therefore, you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge, right? I mean, I, I got nothing before God. I'm sinful. That's the first thing I do is want to recognize before God. First John chapter one, verses eight and nine. If you say you have no sin, you deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins. So we, we do that, right? We, want, we go we write to God and we say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then, yeah, exactly. Aren't all bad habits sin? Well, you know, most of them are. So, so that's exactly the point. We want to get to the, the right point with these things. We want to confess them before God, receive his absolution in Christ. But that's not the end of the thing for me, right? If, if you're my brother or sister in Christ, now I'm going to help you as that temptation continues to, to come into your life. I'm going to say, let's, let's lick this thing together, right? Let's, let's, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amend our sinful lives. And this is what the church does. It's not a judgmental way, not in a, you know, I got you, huh? I'm better than you. No, but in a way that we say, hey, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Let's not, let's not get back in this yoke of slavery business. Let's, let's live in freedom together. And maybe that means, maybe that means that I'm, I'm your buddy that you call and you say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. Can you help me through it? Maybe, maybe that means I'm, you're the sister that, that someone texts and says, I could use prayers right now. I'm really struggling with whatever. Okay. Maybe it's an accountability program where, where uh, you, you, you make sure you're not looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at or, or listening stuff you shouldn't be listening to, or, or uh, maybe going that place you shouldn't be going. Okay. Um, I had a, I had a friend of mine who would, who <laughs> it was always an unfortunate time would stop by with drugs and they'd be like, I, you need to take these for me. I can't, um, I went and got them again. You need to help me. And so I would, I would, <laughs> unfortunately I had lots of drugs. Um, but I would, I would, I would literally take their drugs from them. I wouldn't take the drugs, <laughs> don't worry. Um, but I would, I would actually physically take their drugs from their hands and, and I would actually um, remove them from that situation. And it wasn't fun. I'm telling you, it wasn't always easy. And sometimes it was kind of scary. But, but it was, I was, I was able to be a person that they would, oddly enough, drive by my house or, or even by my office sometimes on their way home from getting the drugs. But uh, it was something I could walk through with them um, as a Christian brother. And we would talk about the absolution. But then I also kind of made sure that I was there to help them bear this burden as they go forward. So I think, I think Paul is kind of saying this to the church is that, you know, when someone's caught in a transgression, um, all of us are in the same boat here. All of us come to the same repentance every Sunday morning. All of us say the same words to God. All of us are equally sinners. So if you're caught in a temptation, if you're caught in a sin, those the church where the spirit is dwelling, those of us who are spiritual, where the spirit is at work, we're going to restore you. We're going to bring you to Christ. We're not going to lie about your sin. We're going to say, yeah, that, that's, that's evil. That's a sin. You shouldn't be doing that. That's not what a child of God does. But we're not going to do that to beat you up. We're going to say, and there's there's forgiveness for that sin. That's why Christ died. You're no, you're not less of a brother. You're not less of a sister. You're not less of a Christian. You're a child of God, just like we are, and we're going to help you out with this, right? And that's what the church does. Okay, so let's let's get on to number three because we have to. But doctor, real quick, I just wanted to mention, I did find that quote from Bonhoeffer. It's actually from The Cost of Discipleship. Cost of Discipleship. That was the other option. I was thinking And about furthermore, it actually cites specifically Galatians 6.2. So see, see, there you go. Great. I'll just paste it. I'll paste it in the chat. It's a little bit long in case anybody wants to read it, but it's a real good one. So yeah, that's good. I really thought it was in Life Together. It's in Cost of Discipleship. I found it first in the Treasure of Daily Prayer. And luckily they cite where it was on. It's for September 28th. If anybody wants to go look in the Treasure of Daily Prayer, but it's from the Treasure Cost of Daily Prayer. 
high 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 marks right it's awesome every it's it's a little bit big and it's a little bit thick and it's a little bit you know every day it's like a lot of stuff but it is awesome like i can't recommend it highly enough to everybody to get the treasure the other thing is um the there's also an app on your phone you can't see that probably the pray now app it's the same thing pray now app it's fantastic I got the kit. I got the paper version and the Kindle version of the Treasury Daily Prayer. I yeah, liked it that so, much. So it's just I, my my camera is going to focus on it, but um, highly recommended the Treasury of Daily Prayer from CPH. Daily readings, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Church Father, a Psalm, uh, a hymn verse, and a prayer. And then they have they have readings from the from the, uh, the Lutheran confessions in there as well, either suggestions or during Lent and stuff that's actually written out for you. So absolutely wonderful. It even has little orders of worship for you to do at home, little devotional services you can do. Uh, the app even has little psalm tunes you can listen to, which is kind of fun. So um, highly recommended. The app is like eight bucks, um, but highly worth it. So treasury of daily prayer, just absolutely fantastic. Anyway, sorry, I'm not paid by CPH. Don't worry. Um, it's just really good stuff. Yeah. So, so number three, so are Christians allowed to judge each other? Number three. Uh, yes. Or you wouldn't know if somebody was in trouble. Okay, good. So if we say yes, in what what is the goal of the judgment? To bear that burden. And to bring them where? To repentance, to the right. Lord. To get them to Christ. Okay. So we are allowed to judge each other, meaning I can look at your actions and say, that's a sin. Christians don't do that. That's not the way that we live out our faith in Christ. But the goal of that judgment, not to say, ha ha, I caught you. I'm better than you. No, it's actually in love to restore a brother in Christ to Christ. And Jeremy, you were talking about this earlier to ease his guilty conscience, right? To comfort the terrified conscience. Um, I'm caught in a sin. Maybe God can't love me. Well, part of, part of, the reality of being a Christian is that we're allowed to look at each other and say, yeah, you're right. That's a sin. That's not a good thing. You shouldn't be doing that. You should not have done that. I'm allowed to say that when the word of God backs it up. Okay. When the word of God clearly says that's a sin, we are allowed to say, yes, you sinned. That is wrong. But the goal of that is to move them to repentance. Okay. And this is really the point of Matthew 18, where we hear about which you usually think about this in, in terms of church discipline, which is a negative way to look at it, but in a positive way, this is the way the church restores itself, restores all of its members, is that we're allowed to look at each other and say, you know, your action, your words, your thoughts, whatever, these are not the things of God. This is not according to the will of God. We are free to do that. As a matter of fact, in some ways, it's our, it's part of our love for each other in the church to do this. Now, that's very good. And, I, and that's very right. good. I got a quick Yep, question. go ahead. How can we judge each other though when we're all when each of us is just as sinful as the next? Like in Matthew 7. How right? So how go to Matthew 7. That's the correct place to go because that's the one that everyone quotes to you, right? Matthew 7. Very good. Very good. That's where we're gonna go next. See, so you're anticipating my every move. And that's because you've got that awesome confirmation verse. Matthew 7. This is the one where everyone goes to that they'll quote it to you on the internet, whether they're Christians or not. They seem to like Matthew 7 1. Okay, so Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, written by uh, Matthew, who was one of the apostles. So Matthew and John, the first and fourth gospel, was written by apostles. The middle two, Mark and Luke, were written by non apostles, but under the authority of an apostle. So it still works. Um, so Matthew chapter seven, verse one says, judge not that you be not judged or King Jimmy, you know, lest you be, lest ye be judged um, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. 
First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, so very good. So then, so then answer it that way. Are Christians allowed to judge? Well, is it a difference between judging and condemning or the intent of the judgment? Good. Very good. So are Christians allowed to walk in and think, well, I am, I got this licked. What is your problem? Are we allowed to do that? Nope. No. Okay. No. But are we allowed as fellow sinners who know the where forgiveness is found are we allowed to bring fellow sinners along with us to repentance all the time acknowledging chief of chief of sinners though i be right see you're exactly right and and that's why i asked the question i did because christians are allowed to judge each other meaning we can look at each other and be honest about what a sin is we don't need to hide that we don't need to pretend because we know where the cure is right we're not leaving someone their sin but we're not allowed to judge in a way that we look down on our brother, because remember they are a brother, which me or a sister, which means their sins are forgiven just as much as yours, and you don't have a right to say otherwise. Because if Jesus says they belong to Him, if Jesus says they are forgiven, well, guess what? It doesn't matter what you say or what you think, because. Jesus is the one that forgives sins. So when, when we're talking about judging, we're not talking in a way that, that condemns someone else. What we're doing is we're actually talking in a way that we encourage someone else to live their life according to the will, the word of God and the will of God. And what that means is if I'm going to do that for you, I expect you to do that for me. So are we commanded to judge each other in that way? And like, that's why we have the church and our parts of congregation so that we're around other Christians so that they can judge us like that. So we're supposed to do that. Yes. So or only part of what Paul is getting us to see in Galatians six is that part of living our life in the spirit is to live this life, really discerning what the will of God is and to help people who are not living in the fullness of the, the forgiveness of sins and the freedom of loving and serving. So um, part of, the, part of the, the job of the church is, is in to, to encourage us to live in good works, to live in the fruit of the spirit, okay? Because it's better. And this, I think this is the key component to this whole judging issue is that when, when most people hear the word judging, they think I'm standing on judgment over you. And they think, well, I've got this thing licked and I'm putting you down. First of all, that's right out. We don't do that because we're all equal. We're all sinners. We're all forgiven by Christ. So we're all equals in this. But the other thing is, is that when we're talking about judging someone's sins, meaning identifying whether they've, they've fallen into temptation, like it says in Galatians 6, and bearing their burden, what we're talking about is we actually believe that it is better to live according to the will of God than to live contrary to the will of God right? What about when people use their salvation as an excuse for sin? Like earlier today, my Baptist advanced biology teacher said that people who do that aren't actually saved. Well, I mean, that's pretty judgmental. <laughs> See, and that's where I would be very careful about saying these kind of things. Um, I'm very cautious to ever say to somebody, you're not saved. I've said that, but it was after a very long conversation and lots of attempts to bring them to repentance where they finally just said, I don't want any part of your Jesus. I don't want any part of your repentance. I'm going to just keep doing what I want. I said, you know, I'm kind of concerned that you're not actually saved. But that was after a lot of conversation. And, I, and I'm very, very leery of these statements where people say, well, anyone who holds this opinion can't be saved. And I kind of go, uh-oh, I... I'm probably out then because I guarantee you there's something my brain can't get around that God is going, Oh, come on. That's plain as day. And my little pea brain is going, no, it's not. I don't get it. So I, I do not think it is, it is right. I don't think it's proper. I don't think it's biblical to, to say those kinds of statements where, you know, 
basically you have to have the correct doctrine in this list of doctrines in order to be saved. That actually is fundamentalism, where there's kind of a list of things that you have to hold to and believe in Jesus to be saved. We don't do that. We say faith in Christ is what saves, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, your faith in Christ, my faith in Christ, it's not perfect. I, I got the Holy Spirit works good faith in me and my concupiscence, my sinful nature keeps fighting against it. And I bring in my crazy thoughts from my head and all of a sudden it's all jumbled up, right? And I got my own little theories of how this all works and God's going, what? And, and, and that's where Christian brothers and sisters can say, you're, you're kind of thinking wrong on this one, right? Let's, let's see what the scriptures have to say on this. Let's, let's get in the word of God together. So um, I'm sorry, what do they say you, you can't do to be saved? Or if you do this, you're not, you're not saved? If you're using your salvation as an excuse to sin. If you're using your salvation. Yeah. And, and I would like to, may I just add um, one little comment? Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just think with that, I, I got to be honest. If that's the case, then none of us are saved. That's the thing. Like at some point, this is something that's really prevalent, I think, in American evangelicalism. It's something that we try and stay away from in Lutheranism, which is, you know, forgiveness is only for sinners, but not for Christians or something like that, you know, where it's like, as soon as you're a Christian, boy, you better step in line. And now all we've got is the law for you. And if you don't do, if you don't do the things the way I think you ought to do them, then boy, you're not saved. Um, So so this is something that maybe we should, we should say, I erase, I always erase what I'm going to point to, by the way. That's just, you guys have to memorize the board. But we wrote up justification and salvation. Um, justification is a one-time event, but it happens all the time. It's just so, it's such a weird thing. You were justified when you were baptized. You were justified when you were given faith the very first time, but you're also justified today. And all the sins that you committed up to this point are gone. And that's true again tomorrow. And that's true again in 45 seconds is that Christ bore your sins once for all on the tree. And that counts for you from now until the day he returns and every day thereafter. And, and this, this transaction of God to save us is not kind of now that you're in, you know, you kind of get a different set of rules. No, it's, it's the reality that, that he saved me from my sin and he continues to save me from my continued sins. I, I'm not, I don't got this thing licked. Right. As a matter of fact, don't tell everyone I told you this, but there are days that Christians don't believe. You wake up, none of it makes sense. You, you can't get your mind around it. The sound, the scriptures don't sound like they're true. The whole nine yards, you've, you've been there. And you kind of go, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm kind of, I'm struggling here. I want to believe in you, but it's hard today. And, and God is not saying, well, you, you were my child, but pff, you messed up. We'll see you. You know, it doesn't work that way. Thank God. Literally, thank God it doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit keeps us in the one true faith, not because our faith is so wonderful, but because the promises of God have been kept in Christ Jesus for you. And when you mess that up, guess what? Christ died for that. Okay? So so I would rather concentrate on the all-encompassing love of God accomplished in Christ Jesus who died for sins once for all. I would rather talk about that when it comes to salvation than I would about whether or not I'm messing up over here or over there. Does that make sense? Even when someone's unrepentant? When someone is unrepentant, like I said, then you, then you start going on a conversation where you say, are you actually rejecting Christ for you? And if they get to the point where they say, Yes, I don't, I don't want forgiveness of sins. I don't want anything to do with God. I, I, I refuse to change my life. Then you start having conversations where you say, whoa, now you're saying things that really concern me about the state of your faith. We're not talking about somebody who's having, going through a moment of weakness or, or a person who's struggling with something. We're, going, we're talking about someone who's, who's literally saying, I don't want this. I, I, I don't believe it. I don't want it. I refuse. And that's when you start saying things like, I'm very concerned about your faith. Okay. And that's really the point that of Matthew 18 is you started on the process of saying to that person, the church is actually saying, we're very concerned that you aren't a member of the church anymore. And that terrifies us. So we're going to kind of pull everything we can to bring you to repentance, right? To show you your sin and to bring you back to the fellowship of believers. 
Um, that's really the point of church discipline is to say, we're not kidding here. Okay. We're not joking around. What you are saying and doing is so terrifying to us that that is not, those are not words of faith. So, so this is one way to think about it. And this is kind of the way I, I talk to people sometimes. They say, uh, that's not what a Christian would say. That's not how a Christian would talk. Okay. So you say, I say, well, you know what you're doing? That's sinful. And they go, yeah, I know who cares. And I go, whoa, that's not how a Christian talks. When a Christian hears that something is sinful, they go to Christ for forgiveness. Now, sometimes they say, oh, you're right. I, I didn't mean it. I was being flippant or, you know, I didn't know what to say. Okay, fine. That's fine. But if they actually start insisting then that, yeah, I don't care about, it. I don't want forgiveness. I'm going to keep doing this no matter what. That's when you start saying that those, those words don't sound like words that come from faith. Okay. But even then I stop short of saying to somebody, you can't be saved. Okay. Because I don't really believe that I have the right to question the work of Christ on the cross. I have the right to question what I'm hearing as evidence of faith or unbelief, but I don't have the right to actually question the work of Christ on the cross for sinners. And that's why I get very un uncomfortable with the question with the statements of can't be saved. Right. Does that make sense? Does that help? I, or not? I think, I think the other thing too, is that the, one of the, one of the many beautiful things about the nature of God is that he takes the long view of things too. Right. And I think this is something that is a parent. Uh, so uh, parenthood on earth, is it just a, a simulation or an emulation of God's fatherhood for us? So we, we get a little taste of it, but uh, you know, Slayton's, I, I'm sure we'll ask your dad if you've ever thrown a tantrum uh, at your parents before. Them. They're basically uh, perfect. Is there, <laughs> I don't love you. I don't want to live here anymore. I'm running away from home. I hate you. If you ever had your kid tell you, I hate you, I mean, it's Sorry, frustrating. It's yeah, right, right, everybody, right? <laughs> right, and that is some repentance right there. And you have, God takes the long view. He has all of your life for you to realize what kind of a tantrum you were throwing when you knew better. And when you said, oh, I don't wanna have anything to do with this repentance. I don't wanna have anything to do with your Jesus. And to, to us, temporally in the church, we would say, oh, <gasps> We're really concerned about that. We need to do something about it. The beautiful thing, though, is that the church is not specifically um, uh, tasked with knowing somebody's ultimate end, right? We don't know if through the course of their life, they will come back to repentance at my congregation. They'll have some sort of deathbed situation. They'll realize, oh, what a life did I live? Jesus, please, you know. We, we can't and we don't and we're not expected to know that stuff. God knows the human heart from the beginning to the very end. And he knows and you, you are you are predestined to salvation, whether you throw that little tantrum, no matter how long it lasts, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, you could come back at some point. God knows the ultimate end of your life. So it's not for us to really ever say, I mean, I would, I can, I would affirm what, what Dr. Armbrust has said. It, and not I, only, I would add one thing to that. Not, not only will, may you come back, but I just don't believe the grace of God is as flimsy as our will is. I, yeah. I believe God's love and his mercy and his grace is actually stronger than my silly will. I'm sorry, I just do. And so when God claims someone as their child, it's not as easy as we think for that relationship to end. And, and God holds on tight. And, and this is something that I've, I've, I've told some of you even here already, but God loves your children even more than you do. As impossible as it is for me as a dad to believe to conceptualize. Um, God actually loves your children more than you do. And he loves you more than you can even imagine he loves you. So he's not going to abandon you just because you throw a temper tantrum, like Jeremy said, or something like that. Um, the other thing that I want to get to real quick, and I know it's over time, but just to kind of, to make sure we, we say this, is that the scriptures encourage these conversations to be brought to the office of the holy ministry. Okay, Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and John 20, they place this discussion within the office of the Holy Ministry. So this is something when you are, when you are involved in someone in your life as a Christian and you're actually concerned about their salvation, please go talk to your pastor. You're not, you're not breaking confidences. You're actually going to the right place. Okay, so please, please go to your pastor. Um, if you don't feel comfortable with that, then please go one of the elders at your church. Okay. And again, not in a gossipy way, not in a, I caught Jeremy doing this kind of way, 
but no, in a, I'm concerned for my Christian brother. I don't know how to handle the situation. I don't know how to help them out. Okay. Um, and, and that really is, and we need to make sure we say that is that the scriptures always place this, this forgiveness thing in the context of the office of the Holy ministry. And if, if you don't know what the office of the Holy ministry is, that's what we call pastors. Okay. Your, your kind of normal way to talk about it is your pastor. So then you want to, you want to go talk to your pastor about this. And he's the one that's been called, um, not just to handle this, but also to really have these hard discussions is when do you say to somebody, I'm concerned for your salvation. That's actually your pastor's um, calling is to, is to be the one who kind of does word and sacrament ministry in this way where the actual law is preached to its severity and the gospel is, is then proclaimed in its, in its um, proper way and in its fullness and sweetness. So, so I do encourage you as you think about this, yeah, we can do some of this on a, on a, on a kind of person to person, lay person level, but also make sure that, that when it, you kind of really think about these, these really hard things, that's your pastor's role. That's his call. Literally, that's his call. So, so I commend that to you as well. All right. Good discussion. I'm sorry. Time just time warped on us a little bit there. It's eight o'clock already. So we will pray and let people go that need to go. Again, I really encourage you if, if you, if you can, please get to church Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, obviously Easter Sunday. You find an Easter vigil nearby. That's good too. Um, read through the gospels, read through the, the passion accounts and all four gospels. If you have an opportunity, um, good stuff to do. So we'll pray and then we'll let you go for the rest of this Holy week. We pray Lord God, heavenly father. I'm weak. I need restoration by your spirit. I need forgiveness. I need him to strengthen my faith. And I need your son to be my savior again this day. So we rejoice that every time we call upon you, you are the God who rejoices to have mercy. The God who rejoices to forgive sins and to remove iniquity. You are the God who has conquered sin, death, and the devil and given to us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. So teach us to live in freedom and to bear one another's burdens as we point all people to the cross of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Blessed week, Kevin. You too. Thank you. Kevin? Yep. I was thinking I'll throw out how about Micah? Ooh. Ooh. I was going to say a minor prophet. Let me look into that. Micah could be fun. Micah might be a good idea. We did a backlog a while back, so maybe we'll do Micah. We can learn about real justice and mercy. We can actually talk about, there's some uh, important passages these days in Micah. That's not a bad idea, Susan. <laughs> let, me, let me look at Micah. That might move up the list pretty quickly. That could be fun. And it's not that long of a book, really. Right. It's it short and it has allusions to Christ, the coming of Christ. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it has a lot of stuff in it. Um, it's got some verses you know pretty well. So let me think about Micah. That's a good one. I like that. That might be top of the list all of a sudden. Cool. Good. Do we want to stop YouTube? Oh, please.